Hello, and welcome to The Text Mix. My name is Jessica Montoya-Coggins. Uh, the Text Mix podcast is brought to you by The Texas Signal. Uh, today, I am joined by Nisha Dave of the Lilith Fund and Nakia Natali from the Texas Equal Access Fund. Hi, thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, so we will get into this we were actually scheduled to talk a few weeks ago, uh, but we'll yes. get into that. Uh, so, but for both of y'all, I wanted to just sort of hear about your organizations and what y'all do. So I guess we'll start with Nisha. Sure, thank you so much, Jessica. So again, my name is Nisha DeVay and I am deputy director of the Lilith Fund for Reproductive Equity. And I'm based in Austin, Texas. And Lilith Fund is an abortion fund that serves the Southern half of our state. Um, and so what that means is people who are looking to access abortion care, but who cannot afford the cost of the procedure on their own, reach out to us and ask for um, some partnership in getting their procedure funded and so we um, offer direct financial assistance, emotional support, and then we also do movement building, organizing, and advocacy work to try to break down these copious abortion restrictions that exist in state law. And Nakia? So my name is Nakia Natali. I'm the Advocacy and Outreach Director with P-Fund. I'm also an attorney, and I previously worked with both Lilith Fund and T-Fund. Yes. Nisha and I overlapped for like a couple weeks, maybe. <laughs> um, so T-Fund does work that's really similar to Lilith Fund, but we serve the northern half of Texas. Um, so we, at the heart of what we do is we help pay for people's abortions. In 2020, we committed over $400,000 to about 1,200 people seeking abortion in Texas. We also do um, a lot of advocacy and organizing work to help try to break down all of the barriers that exist to abortion access in Texas. Um, we have a client engagement program like Lilith Fund that focuses on the leadership development of the people that we serve. And through that, we provide emotional support with um, our licensed social worker on staff. We also have a virtual clinic companion program and a text line, and we do a lot of abortion storytelling work as well. Yes, uh, so if y'all can tell, today's episode is devoted to anti-choice legislation, the future of abortion in Texas, and also something called Rosie's Law, uh, which we will get into. Uh, but first, as I had said, this conversation was actually scheduled for several weeks ago. Uh, that was during the epic blackout winter storm, uh, <laughs> which I think we all realized our state in its infinite wisdom uh, in uh, prioritizing ridiculous pieces of legislation, uh, you know, like a lot of the anti-choice bills we're seeing, uh, has, I guess, forgotten to invest in our infrastructure and our power grid. Uh, so <laughs> I'm so glad that the, the two of y'all were able to, we were able to uh, reschedule. Um, but on the topic of the blackout, uh, and I know that this, that last year was just so hard, uh, especially with a lot of the restrictions that were placed by the Texas government, um, how, how did your organizations uh, handle that? And, and did you hear from clients that were, were impacted? And I guess we'll start with uh, uh, Nisha. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, like most folks in, um, in our state and in our service area, you know, the staff at our organization, most of our staff lost power or water or both for most of that week. And, you know, like, like so many in our state, we're just sort of, you know, struggling day by day to access basic needs, just the most basic things that one needs for survival, heat, water. Um, and you're, you're absolutely right that 
you know, lawmakers didn't just, you know, it wasn't just that this storm was like a weather crisis. Um, this, this crisis that we experienced as Texans was like born out of willful negligence on the part of our state lawmakers. And like, it is, it is a crisis of their own creation um, that now, you know, many of them are acting um, like very much like that they are victims of it as well when, you know, it is like the failure of our conservative state leaders that that created this, this crisis that, you know, so many Texans are still struggling to recover from. So Lilith Fund's clients are absolutely um, among communities who, you know, like first are the most impacted by abortion restrictions, which, you know, Texas has um, some of the worst and like most overly burdensome abortion restrictions um, in the nation. Um, and then are people who are just like already, already working hard to get by. And when the crisis occurred, the situation just got so much more dire for people because um, many abortion providers also lost power or water, you know, folks um, had to then, you know, further delay their care um, just because, you know, you can't uh, see a medical provider if, you know, there's not basic infrastructure happening in your, in your community. And so, so many of our clients, you know, are, or the majority of our clients are low-income women of color who are already parenting their children and, you know, Already, already working hard to get by and already dealing with the crisis of the winter storm and the energy crisis on top of the crisis of the pandemic that now we're, you know, almost one year into. And then, you know, working to access or trying to access abortion care on top of that is just an, an additional crisis that is um, just hard to even express what all of those challenges can mean for someone. Yeah, crisis upon crisis upon mm -hmm. crisis. Uh, Nikia? What about y'all? Definitely same at T-Fund. Um, we closed our virtual office for about a week, honestly, because we just couldn't work. Like personally, like I got lucky. I had my power. I had my water, but I had no internet. And my cell phone service was spotty. And I'm like, here I am, super pregnant. Can't leave my house and go anywhere because it's super snowy. But um, yeah, we, we couldn't work. So we couldn't help our clients. Our local abortion clinics were closed for the most part um, and, and because they, they couldn't provide services either. Um, and then what happens in these cases is like the, it pushes people further along in their pregnancies. And the later you get in your pregnancy, like the more expensive the abortion is and like just the more logistics you have to work through to like have access to that abortion. And then on top of that is like a lot of people had damage to their homes or they lost wages because they weren't working either. So it's just, you know, just a financial crisis. It's a crisis. And it goes to show you also how all of these issues are related. Like the weather, this, you know, the power outages are related to climate change and how climate change is a reproductive justice issue because it relates to abortion and it relates to like people being able to care for their families and get the healthcare that they need. So it was pretty rough. I feel like in many ways, we're still kind of recovering from it. Like Absolutely. everyone's trying to regroup. Everybody's trying to like rebuild homes and fix things and like make back income that they lost. Um, again, because of like our state's failure in, in taking care of people here. And then there are some folks, you know, primarily in low income communities of color who still don't have hot water. That is very true. 
Um, and it's, uh, and, and as you were saying, a, a lot of the places I'm, I'm, I'm in Dallas and we didn't have quite as sustained damage as other places in Texas, but the schools here have been very, very impacted. And that just goes to, again, with families that are having to juggle just that at home learning with some hybrid learning and you know, just a, just a huge mess. Um, but y'all touched upon a point about Texas and the, access of abortion and how this is one of the states where it is incredibly challenging. Um, and we've seen a lot of uh, really gross legislation filed so far this session. Um, I did actually see on Twitter today, uh, the woman, the Republican woman who filed a heartbeat bill, she was one of the first to celebrate the uh, mask mandate being repealed, which I just- Yes, I, I saw that. I was like, that's super pro-life. Yeah, super, just super excited about liberty. Yeah. yeah, people care about us so much, us and our freedoms. <laughs> yes, yes. Free, um, free, free to spread, um, like, free to help spread a pandemic, but not free to access basic health care like abortion. I know, I will never, like, watch The Walking Dead the same when knowing <laughs> if that did actually happen, like, there'd be most Republicans in our state being like, actually, I have a right to be a zombie. Um, but, <laughs> so, so, that'll be another podcast episode. Um, but uh, so why are abortion funds so important in Texas? And, and what do y'all think that you are really, you know, uh, doing to to try and, uh, you know, address the needs of this state, which is, you know, so hostile to abortion? And I, I think I'll start with Nikia first. Okay, cool. Um, Abortion funds are really important because we help people who are the most impacted by barriers to abortion. Like Nisha said, most of our clients, most of the people we serve are low income, people of color, many if not most are parents. Um, and we are giving them, like we literally hand them money or we give it to the clinic to pay for their abortion. So without being able to pay for an abortion, you have no access to abortion at all. Uh, we're also really, we're grassroots organizations. So we work on the ground with people we know a lot of what's going on. We hear a lot of stories. We have a lot of information and we do a lot of great advocacy work too, because Texas, like we keep saying, has so many barriers and restrictions on access to abortion. It's insane. Just so many. Like, I don't even know how, I, one day I want to count how many there are, but it's just, it's just a lot. It's just really hard to get an abortion here. I mean, we have a lot of, and, and all of the requirements and the barriers that are in place, like none of them are medically necessary. They're all medically, every single one of them. For example, we have this requirement to have an ultrasound prior to having an abortion. That's in many cases, not medically necessary. But then after the ultrasound, you have to wait 24 hours. And then you have to go back for a second appointment, at least 24 hours or no later, no earlier than 24 hours later to, to either pick up your abortion pill, to get your abortion. Um, so that's two trips to the abortion clinic. There's very few abortion clinics in the entire state. So people are driving a lot, like a while to get their abortions. And it's just, it's really hard in many ways. So we try to do what we can to raise awareness of the issue of how hard it is to get an abortion in Texas and to try to break down those barriers that exist in our state. Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, I just think fundamentally abortion funds exist because all of the different kinds of abortion restrictions, all of the different kinds of abortion restrictions create significant harm for people. Um, and, you know, and Nakia named several of the restrictions we have on our books. I just want to highlight a couple of more. So in Texas, um, if you uh, have Medicaid health insurance, 
publicly funded Medicaid health insurance, you cannot use that um, if you are trying to access abortion care. Um, and if you have private health insurance, um, the state has made it right about impossible for private health plans to cover abortion care as well in, for most abortions. Um, and if you have a plan that you purchased um, on the federal marketplace, same thing, significant restrictions. And fundamentally abortion is healthcare. Abortion is so safe, normal healthcare. There is nothing unsafe about abortion. The only thing that makes abortion less safe is abortion restrictions, legal restrictions on accessing care. That is what makes, I'm sorry, not makes abortion less safe. That's what makes people less safe. People are made less safe when there are restrictions for how you can access medical care. Um, and abortion funds are just trying to break, break down those barriers. Um, a couple of other kinds of restrictions we have on the books that you know maybe listeners don't know about. Um, we have significant parental involvement laws where um, minors are not able to access abortion care without parental consent and notification, unless if they go through the process of getting a judicial bypass, meaning they have to appear before a judge and explain why they should be allowed, like why they should be given permission by a judge to access abortion care. Um, there are so many um, targeted restrictions on abortion providers. Uh, which TRAP, Targeted Restrictions on Abortion Providers, people um, call trap laws. There are so many trap laws on the books um, that require abortion clinics to meet just like super unnecessary, super burdensome standards about like facilities and equipment and staffing. And those laws, like Nakia mentioned earlier, like they just exist to make it harder and harder to operate abortion um, clinics in our state. And as a result, we have Few and fewer and fewer providers, um, which makes it harder and harder for people to find a place to go. So if you're a person seeking abortion care, you know, if you have health insurance, you can't use it. So you're, you're paying out of pocket. And because there are relatively few providers who are able to continue to serve people seeking abortion care because of our state laws, you know, you might have to travel a distance or wait for an, uh, for, you know, an appointment to become available. Um, because there's just not, not enough providers to, to serve the people in our state. And, you know, we just believe that no one should face barriers in accessing abortion care or any other kind of health care. Like people should not face barriers because of where they live or how much money they earn or how they have insurance. And, um, you know, that's, that's why, that's why we have so many wonderful abortion funds in our state. Um, and, you know, folks, um, you know, our funds and our communities have stepped up to help each other. Um, abortion funds are primarily funded by our, you know, our community members who um, want to help each other because, you know, we believe these laws are deeply wrong. Well, there is actually one piece of legislation that has been filed that is actually not the absolute worst. Uh, <laughs> and so I am getting to Rosie's law, which I believe was filed in the house uh, by Cheryl Cole. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, I almost said Cheryl Crow, which <laughs> would have been, been really cool. Um, <laughs> and, and then on the Senate by uh, Sarah Eckhart. Uh, so uh, do you want, if you all want to talk about Rosie's law and, and what that would do and what that would mean for your organizations? Yeah, so Rosie's law, if and when it is passed in Texas, um, would allow for Medicaid 
to cover insurance or to, sorry, to cover abortion. It would also repeal the ban that exists on private insurance covering abortion as well. So this would kind of do away a little bit with the need of abortion for abortion funds to exist in the state. And it would allow people who have Medicaid and it will allow people who have private insurance to use that insurance or to use that Medicaid to, to pay for their abortion. That being said, I know Texas has like, or at least North Texas has like the highest rate of uninsured people like in the country. But Rosie's law would, would make a huge, huge, huge difference in, in access to abortion, especially for low-income people and for people of color who are on Medicaid. Um, and it would, would just really, the people that we serve would be we impacted in such a profound way by this. And Rosie's Law was, it's actually named after someone named Rosie Jimenez, who is the first known person to have passed away after from an unsafe abortion after the passage of the Hyde Amendment, which was an, a, a federal legislative policy that still exists today that um, does not, it doesn't allow for federal dollars to pay for abortion. Um, and Rosie was from the Rio Grande Valley from McAllen, Texas. And just, you know, it's just a really sad story. And it's something that she was on Medicaid. She could have used her Medicaid to pay for her abortion, but she couldn't. By law, she couldn't. And it just, um, for that reason, we, we lost Rosie and we could lose other people too because they don't have the access that they need to, to abortion. The only thing that I wanna to add to that is just that, you know, like, yes, like Nikia said, you know, Rosie Jimenez could not use her Medicaid to pay for her abortion care. Like, you know, if she needed so many other kinds of healthcare, um, you know, folks who are enrolled in Medicaid or enrolled in private insurance can use that insurance to cover their healthcare. But, you know, just, but Rosie couldn't because just a short time before, um, U.S. Rep. Henry Hyde um, passed this Hyde Amendment and it's been reauthorized in the federal budget um, every year since then. And maybe Nakia can chime in and say the year because I've just, it's not with six. Thank you. In 1976 <laughs> is when the Hyde Amendment first started as part of um, the Federal Appropriations Act. And, you know, and, and, and in the deliberations about it, like he specifically said that he wanted to try to prevent people who were served by Medicaid from accessing abortion care. Like he was trying to stop people like Rosie Jimenez, like very specifically from trying to access abortion care. Um, the Hyde Amendment is, is a little bit bigger. It prohibits any um, federal government dollars from being spent towards abortion care. And then Medicaid is a huge part of that. Um, so, you know, anti-abortion politicians um, pass these anti-abortion policies that create just very significant harm for people. And even though the Hyde Amendment is a federal policy here in the state of Texas, um, you know, our state has the ability to allow state Medicaid to cover abortion care and for us to use state dollars to um, cover abortion care. And there are some states that have done that. And unfortunately, our state hasn't. Our state has just doubled down on abortion restrictions in um, over the past decades, which is very disappointing and very frustrating. And so that's part of what we are looking to address with Rosie's Law, is we want abortion to be covered as health care by health insurance, public and private, because abortion is health care. 
Very simply. And so we are so excited to be working, like you mentioned, with Representative Cheryl Cole. This is the second time she has authored Rosie's Law and very excited to be working with Senator Sarah Eckhart, um, who uh, this is her first session uh, at the Capitol. And she is uh, the first uh, U.S. I'm sorry, the first Texas senator to ever file Rosie's Law. So we're very excited about that. And just right. to clarify, I think before I referred to the Hyde Amendment as a federal legislative policy, like Nisha said, it's just a federal policy. So it's like a rider to an appropriations bill that mm -hmm. is like passed with each budgetary session. So it's not the law of the United States. It's, it's literally something that is much easier than a law to, to change and to get mm -hmm. rid of, but it's been passed every year since it was first introduced in our country. Yes. Yes, and so uh, we have partners in an organization called All Above All, who are working to end the federal Hyde Amendment. Um, and, you know, because it is reauthorized with the, like we've said, with the federal budget every year. And so Congress can choose not to do so. Yeah, and I've been hearing, you know, a lot of people have been pressuring the Biden administration to really look at that, you know, uh, as we're recording, they just passed COVID relief, so they can sort of turn their attention to other ways. Um, and. Uh, I, I just, I've been doing a lot of research on, uh, you know, state of abortion access. And I was looking at Washington state uh, and they are just, whatever like Texas does, they do do the exact opposite. <laughs> um, so I was, you know, the, the way that they have, uh, you know, have the Medicaid coverage. So we will definitely be looking at Rosie's law. But one thing that I have been really struck by, and, you know, we've been talking about uh, all this anti-choice legislation and all these uh, barriers to access to abortion. Um, it always, it seems like there is this stigma around abortion, even though it is, uh, I think it's probably, I, I know that the statistics are always a little tricky, uh, but about, I think it's, y'all might know this better, is it one in three women or one in four women will have, have this procedure? I think we um, usually say one in four. One oh, uh, yeah. Um, so why do y'all have any thoughts on, on why this uh, stigma continues to exist and how this has become such a cudgel, uh, particularly for Republicans? Yeah, I think stigma comes from the shame around having an abortion and that shame, that shame is intentionally created. The shame didn't come from any, like just nowhere. The shame was intentionally created by and is perpetuated still by the anti-choice movement and by our government as well. Every time they pass an, an anti-abortion restriction, it perpetuates more shame, which perpetuates more stigma. And stigma is really dangerous and stigma is so pervasive. Like I can speak just from my own experience as someone who's had two abortions in this state. I had an abortion when I was 26, which isn't super young. I was in Austin, Texas, which is a pretty liberal city. I just graduated law school. I had a progressive group of friends. And when I was seeking my abortion, I could only name one person I knew in my whole entire life who had an abortion. So when, when you don't know anyone who's been through it, or when you like rarely know anyone, it makes it feel like it's this like really rare procedure. It's this really bad thing. So when you're looking for info and you don't want to talk to anyone, what do you do? You go to Google, right? You Google it. And when you Google abortion, like all of this really crazy stuff comes up. Um, and it all just kind of works together in a very intentional way to, to make people feel like they're doing something that's really bad, that's really harmful to their bodies. And, and like you said, like about 25% of women, and I say women just because that's what our statistics are on, 25% of women in this country have had an abortion. 
and almost half of those who had multiple abortions. So that's like over like 10% of the people who can get pregnant have had multiple abortions. It's like, how many people do you know in your life that you can name aside, you know, Nisha and I do this work all the time, but like in general, like how many people know people who've had more than one abortion, but it's really very common and it's very normal. And I think the shame and stigma just makes it feel like abortion isn't okay. So a lot of our work is trying to just like normalize abortion because it's really, it's just normal. It's just a normal part of healthcare. Um, But unfortunately it's not treated that way. Absolutely. Nikia said it all perfectly. (laughs) I think about this too with the entertainment industry where I think in the last couple of years, you've seen some television shows and and movies that have have shown this um, just glow. And I remember Scandal, which I think it was an ABC show when it aired uh, and Carrie Washington's character does this. But for the longest time, it just, you know, uh, well, I guess there was that episode of Maude uh, in the 70s. But then there was like this whole... Uh, period where it really wasn't shown or if it was it was just kind of like a, a ooh, you know this character's doing that um so I've, I've thought like, this is something I've thought or about. like if abortion is introduced as a storyline then like there's like always like a conveniently timed miscarriage or something so they're like oh it doesn't right. have to happen thank goodness that didn't have to happen like yeah no it's it it is it is ridiculous but you're right that in more recent years we have had um some some much better um, like fictional representations of, of abortion portrayed in media, which, which is helpful for normalizing. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely getting better. Like I was just watching, I was catching up on this is us and I was like, Oh, Kate had an abortion, like in mainstream television. I think that TV could, media could do better in general, focusing on like more women of color who had an abortion and also making it seem like usually it's like, it seems like the character is like really grappling with this, like, should I do it? Should I not do it? I don't know. For many of us, it's like, you see that pregnancy test and you're like, oh no, I'm getting an abortion. So just making it seem more um, like an easy decision for people, I think would be helpful. And also focusing on portraying some of the barriers that people have to go through prior to getting abortion. They're like, I want an abortion. And then the next day they're like at the abortion clinic and boom, it's done. But in reality, (laughs) it doesn't work like that. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. Um, so I, again, uh, thank y'all so much. And I, so what sort can infor- uh, what can our listeners do to sort of help spread the word about Rosie's Law? And then also for your organizations, uh, what what are some of the ways that uh, we can start to you know sort of change this conversation about abortion? Mm, love that question. Thanks, Jessica. Um, so. Our two organizations, Lilith Fund, Texas Equal Access Fund, and then our partner Frontera Fund um, are working together on Rosie's Law. And we have a website for Rosie's Law. It is rosieslaw.org. And I would love for anyone listening uh, to this podcast to check it out. There's like a very prominent take action button. Um, And right now we're asking for people to pledge to support Rosie's Law. But by the time folks are listening to this, you know, there might be other calls to action that are there that we would just really love for people to jump in on and participate with. Um, the The bill in the Texas House, House Bill 13, 62 by Cheryl 
Yes, I said it right. Because you said Sheryl Crow earlier. Now I'm really down on myself. I'm so sorry. No, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Yes. Representative Cole's bill, House Bill 1362, has been referred to the House Human Services Committee. And so, um, you know, she, her office is working on requesting a hearing for the bill. And we're going to be working on calling on the chair of that committee to set the bill for a hearing. Um, so, you know, we, if you get on the Rosie's Law website, rosieslaw.org, and take action there on that take action button. Um, we will then be able to also keep in touch and let you know how things are going with Rosie's Law and uh, let you know, you know, what are other steps you can take to, to support the bill. Um, and like, of course, like if you support abortion access, like you should call your representatives and, you know, figure out who your state rep and your state senator are if you don't know. Although I feel like the listeners of this podcast will probably know who their legislators are. But in case you don't know, look it up. And then even if you feel like that's not a person who shares your values, like they still need to hear from you. I was a legislative staffer for a long time. And I know it's really important for lawmakers to hear from their constituents and for them to know where their constituents are on different things. And I'm gonna say, especially if you're represented by someone who is anti-abortion and you support abortion access, they need to hear from you. And as their constituent, you can call and share your perspective on anything. Um, but you know, you can tell them that you support Rosie's Law and that abortion is healthcare and you want abortion to be accessible. And then you can ask for a response and you know, really try to have that conversation and, and share your point of view, that's so important. Um, but also just want to encourage people to get involved with your local abortion fund. Um, if you live in the places that are served by Lilith Fund and Texas Equal Access Fund, we would love to hear from you and for you to get involved in our work, whether that is like by participating in um, actions around the legislative session or um, helping out with one of our grassroots fundraisers or volunteering um, or whatever else. Um, but, you know, wherever you live, like there is an abortion fund that serves you, that serves your community and um, get, get, get to the, get to the Google or check out the national network of abortion funds website and figure out who is your local abortion fund and get involved with them. Spot on. Definitely second what Nisha says. Um, we are really trying hard to push Rosie's Law this session. So there'll be a lot of opportunities to plug in. We do anticipate this session being like particularly hostile to abortion. So there's like a lot of work that we need to do and a lot of work that we need um, people in Texas to help us with. And also just, you know, follow T-Fun and Lilifun on our social media. We always post a lot of opportunities and ways to get plugged in and volunteer. All right. Well, again, my thanks to Nisha and Nakia for joining us today. And thank you uh, for listening. Uh, we are also on Twitter at TexMix Podcast. Uh, you can also follow the Texas Signal there. And we're now on TikTok, uh, which is Ooh. very exciting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you can also uh, subscribe to us on Patreon, uh, which we uh, have a new op-ed from Beto O'Rourke. So who knows if maybe we'll see him in the governor's office or someone else maybe, which <laughs> that might be exciting in a few years when we can uh, try and change the direction of the state. But again, thank y'all so much and we will uh, talk with you soon. Thank you. Thank you.